So this morning, I am um, speaking to you about demonstration of the Spirit's power, and I cannot resist the temptation to give you a Bible trivia quiz, which I know you're just real. Now, if you know me, you know I love games, and I love quizzes and trivia. Uh, my family, some of them are sort of laughing and snickering. Uh, the reason I'm doing that is because I'm going to be speaking from a very famous chapter out of the Bible about the Holy Spirit. And uh, so anyway, um, I, speaking of quizzes, uh, I have to tell you that I really disliked pop quizzes in school. Do you remember in junior high and high school when uh, the teacher would, I remember these words, they echo in my mind, close your books, get out paper and pencil, we're having a pop quiz. I used to think teachers deserve to be tarred and feathered for that. It just, it just, I hate it. I, we, we do have a, let's see, is that you, Jeff, behind the mask and the hat? You're a high school teacher, right? Do you give pop quizzes? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, they do it for a reason. They want to know if you're listening to the lectures. Are you keeping up with your reading on the book and that kind of stuff? But uh, it, it always counted toward my grade, and that's what I didn't like about it. But good news this morning, this doesn't count toward your grade, okay? You, you're not getting a grade for this. Just shout out the answer. I know you know these answers. I'm going to give you the real, the real common chapters first. Who can tell me where the love chapter is? 1 Corinthians 13, you all knew it. Okay, how about the heroes of the Hall of Faith? Hebrews 11, you knew that one. I knew you would. The Shepherd's Psalm. Psalm 23, good job. How about the great resurrection chapter? Oh, come on. Uh, I thought you'd know that. 1 Corinthians 15. Yeah, if you've pastored and do a lot of memorial services and funerals, uh, you use 1 Corinthians 15 a lot. Sermon on the Mount is actually three chapters in the book of Matthew 5 through 7. They got it down here in the front. The longest chapter and the shortest chapter in the Bible. Longest is Psalm 119, right? The shortest is Psalm 117, right? Now, I've got a couple of difficult ones, and uh, I'm not going to look for an answer from you because uh, I, I don't want to embarrass anybody. But the reason I'm sharing them with you is so they relate to what I'm speaking on this morning about the Holy Spirit. One of them is the famous chapter called the Valley of the Dry Bones. Uh, when, uh, no, a good try. It, it's actually when a prophet was speaking to a valley of dry bones, and as he prophesied over them, the wind of God blew across the bones. They began to rattle, and then they rose up, and uh, it was a demonstration of what God was doing. So anyway... Uh, anybody even know the prophet, even if you don't know the chapter? Ezekiel, yeah, very good, very good. The, the other one is, uh, is a very famous chapter, which is not as well known, but, oh, it's a powerful, wonderful chapter about the river of God flowing out of uh, the temple of God. Happens to be in the very same prophet's book, Ezekiel, and it's... Uh, 47, as I recall, Ezekiel 47. They all relate to what I'm speaking about this morning, about the Holy Spirit. I'm looking forward to introducing Him to you in a more intimate way than ever maybe you have, have known Him. Um, and I would like us to stand together this morning to honor the Word. My text is out of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and I'm going to be reading to you the entire passage from um, 1 through 14. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 14. 
When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. And here's the phrase. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. I love that. That's a paradox. If time began, how can it be before time began? Before it began. That's, none of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, this is one of the most profound scriptures in the Bible, right here. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. No one knows what God is thinking, what God wants to do except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. And then verse 14 is so true. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them. Amen. So let it be according to the reading of God's Word. Thank you for standing with me. You may be seated. So I want to introduce to you this morning the Holy Spirit. You will notice that as I speak to you, sometimes I will say the Holy Spirit, and sometimes I will say Holy Spirit. I'm trying to teach myself and groom myself to say Holy Spirit instead of the Holy Spirit, and you will find out why that is here in just a moment. First of all, Holy Spirit has many names. He is referred to in Scripture, depending on the translation of the Bible that you're using, as Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ, Comforter, Counselor, Helper, Holy Spirit of Promise, Spirit of Truth, Spirit of Grace, Spirit of Life, Spirit of Adoption, or Spirit of Sonship, Spirit of Holiness. I have a parallel Bible some of you won't know what that is. It's actually a Bible that when you open it up, it has eight translations all on one on the two sides of the page. Four on this side, four on this side. So you're reading the same Scripture in eight different translations, and they're parallel, and you can see. So I turned to one of my favorite passages in John 14, 26, and I looked at it about the Holy Spirit. And that passage in those eight different translations of the Scripture, three times Bible translators choose the word helper, twice they choose the word counselor, once they use the word comforter, twice they use the word Holy Spirit. I don't know if that adds up to eight, but the point is they were all, they were all picking different words because it comes from the Greek 
the Greek word, I've had two years of Greek. I'm not a Greek scholar, but I can understand some of it. It comes from the Greek verb, parakaleo, but it is called, in this actual word in John 14, 26, is parakaletos. And it actually means uh, like a defense attorney, an advocate, somebody that's standing in for you, an, an intercessor, a counselor, a comforter. It's somebody that is, is standing up on your behalf. And so that's, that's what that is. Now, unfortunately, besides all of those names, there's another thing he has been called, and that is the forgotten member of the Trinity. The forgotten member of the Trinity. We do forget him, don't we? And you probably would recognize that. If I would just challenge you with this thought or this question, how often do you pray to Holy Spirit? I know you pray to God the Father, the Creator, the Ancient of Days, the First Cause, God. I know you pray to Him, and I know you pray to His Son, Jesus. How often do you intentionally pray and talk to Holy Spirit? Just think about that. In church... Some churches just inadvertently exclude the Holy Spirit. Others intentionally exclude Him because of the freedom that He brings and because of the power He brings, because of the demonstrations of the Spirit that He brings. So He's the forgotten member of the Trinity. So what is the Trinity? You know, sometimes when you preach, you should take the opportunity to teach doctrine or theology. And I'm just going to take a minute to talk to you about the Trinity. It's one of the most mystical uh, mysterious, hard-to-understand pillars of the Christian faith. And it's the fact that the Trinity um, is, is whom God is. Most of us accept that God is a triune God. He is three in one, even though at times it's hard to understand. The Scriptures actually say this phrase, God is one. In fact, I looked it up in the uh, Institute for Biblical Research. He, they say there are 28 biblical passages which explicitly teach that God is one. We understand that He's one, of course, but it is a divine unity. It is a, could I call it a compound unity. In Genesis chapter 126, God actually is speaking, and He says when He's talking about creating man, Listen to this. He says, let us, you can look it up in Genesis 126 if you want. Let us make man in our image. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So God is speaking of a plural himself, if I can say it that way. The three cooperate with one mind and one purpose so that in the truest sense, they are really one, although three distinct different persons. All three in the Godhead are co-equal, co-eternal, co-existent. And here's, here's something that I want you to be sure and understand. The Father didn't exist first, and then He had the Son come later, and then He had the Holy Spirit come later, as though the Holy Spirit's an afterthought or an appendage to the Godhead. They were all three present, although in different roles. Uh, in my vocational career which has been rather long. You can see I'm an old man now. Um, I have had to build lots of buildings, both commercial and residential. And I like to compare the, the Trinity to God the Father being the owner or the executive, the Son being the architect, and the Holy Spirit being the contractor. And if you know anything about building, it's the contractor gets all the work done. It's the contractor that gets all the work done. Imagine that, and yet he's the forgotten member. 
Um, as water is one. I didn't bring props with me, which I should have, but I just thought it'd be a lot. But I could show you water as ice, or I could show you water as steam, or I could show you water as water, but it's one. Or as the sun that is shining outside today, it is heat, it is light, it is fire. The three are one. So if this is who the Holy Spirit is, then who is he not? I want to be sure and tell you who the Holy Spirit is not this morning. The Holy Spirit is not an it. It is not a thing. He is not an influence. He is not an experience. He is not a power. We frequently will hear ourselves say, Christians say this all the time, as though the Holy Spirit is an it or a thing, as though he were, if you can imagine this, a, a grayish blob floating around in the universe that, that is a steward or a servant to God whenever he calls on him. You know, when I came to Christ uh, many years ago in the mid-60s, they were using the King James Bible back in those days. And whenever uh, I became a new Christian, started reading about the Holy Spirit, he was called the Holy Ghost. And that's what, if you read a King James Bible today, is Holy Ghost. Well, I was a new Christian, a baby Christian. The only ghost I knew was Casper. In fact, I was surprised. The, I was surprised the other day. I was watching a Geico commercial, and Casper came on. Anybody seen that? Yeah, I didn't know Casper was still around. But, uh, yeah, he's not, he's not a grayish blob or anything like that at all. Um, he is part of the Godhead. He's the third person of the triune Godhead. He is the Spirit of the Father, the Spirit of the Son. He is God. You can pray to Him, talk to Him as you do God and Jesus just because He is a person. He was there in the beginning. As we talked about this last week, He was, he was there in the beginning, Genesis 1. He's there in the end in, in Revelation 22. In Jesus' public ministry, he was there to launch Jesus' public ministry, and he was the very last thing Jesus talked about before he left the earth to ascend to the right hand of the Father. So the Holy Spirit, hear my heart, is not a junior partner in the Godhead. He's not an appendage or somebody that's added on. Like uh, if, if you lived in a world where bicycles were the main thing, God and Jesus, the two wheels of a bicycle, and then somebody stuck on some training wheels. My son Jeff's not here this morning, but I remember when I was teaching him to ride a bicycle. We didn't use training wheels, and I would run beside him and hold the back of the seat, and uh, we'd run down the street. I'd say, keep your balance, keep your balance. He, he didn't know what balance was. He was so young. He says, where's my balance? He thought it was a tool or something that he had to do with the wheels or the pedals, you know, to keep your balance. The Holy Spirit is not an appendage to the Godhead. Uh, am I okay getting that off like that? Okay, thank you. So anyway, he is a, he's a person. Because he is a person, he has a divine personality. Uh, now here's a definition of personality. The combination of qualities that form a person's distinctive character. We talk a lot about personalities. There's been tons of research about personalities. Uh, you've heard somebody say they're an introvert or they're an extrovert. Or you hear somebody say they're type A or they're type B. You know, they're analytical or they're artistic, you know, creative. Uh, or you've heard somebody say they have a sunny disposition or they're rather melancholy. You know, there's, there's all these different things we talk about with personality. But there's one thing that is 
the same about all personalities. All personalities have a mind, have emotions, and have a will. Mind, emotion, and will. In Romans 8, 27, speaking of the Holy Spirit, it says, He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. So, see, Holy Spirit has a mind. Emotions. What about the Holy Spirit? Does He have emotions? Well, you know your Scriptures well enough. Ephesians 4.30, Paul warns, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. He sealed us to the day of redemption. Holy Spirit has feelings. He can be hurt or offended like you and me. Uh, Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit, it says in Acts 5. It says in the Bible, people resist Him. We are warned at the end of 1 Thessalonians, 5th chapter, right at the very end, writing to the believers at Thessalonica, Paul admonishes them, don't quench the Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit. So Holy Spirit has emotions. Holy Spirit also has a will. And I think the place that popped into my mind almost immediately was the great Macedonian call when the Apostle Paul was starting to go out on his missionary journeys. And I think it was his second journey. He was going out, and he tried to go two different places, and he was forbidden. It actually says, I think in the NIV translation, he was forbidden by the Spirit. And then the next time they tried to go somewhere else, and it says the Holy Spirit did not permit them to go. See, the Holy Spirit has a will. He has mind, emotion, and will, so He has a personality. Now, here's another very obvious thing to you, but the obvious needs to be stated. The Holy Spirit, like God, is invisible. Why would I want to tell you that? It's because you and I are limited to our five senses. You and I are limited to our five senses. God is not. It says in John 4, 24, God is a spirit. We can't see Holy Spirit, but He's there. We can't see Holy Spirit, but what can we see? We can see the result of His work and His activity, right? And, of course, Jesus was talking to Nicodemus about this very thing when He was talking about the wind. He says, the wind blows, and you can't see the wind, but you can see the trees or the branches moving in the wind. We can't see the wind, but in our backyard, we have three sets of wind chimes on the porch, but we can hear them chiming in the wind. You can't see the wind, but you can see a parachute gracefully falling from the sky, and you know it's filled with air. You can't see the wind, but you can see a kite just suspended up in the heavens, up in the sky, and it's the wind that's holding it up. We can't see Holy Spirit. He's in this invisible dimension but we can see the results of His work and where He empowers. I have said this oftentimes. Those of you that have attended Celebration Center for any length of time have heard me say this, that the invisible world from God's perspective is more real than the visible world in which we live. Our finite minds cannot grasp that concept, but the Bible speaks about the invisible all the time. And we know they are true. I mean, I could try to prove it to you because you, for instance, can't see ultraviolet rays, light rays, but you know they're there. You can't see some light waves, but they're there. There are colors you've never seen, I've never seen, that extend beyond, beyond the seven colors of the rainbow that we have in the light spectrum. Sound waves, 
I could put you in a concrete box or a wooden box, nail it shut, close it up. You could have a radio on the inside, and you could turn it on. The sound waves would pass right through the walls. You don't know how that happens. Jesus passed through the walls in a prayer meeting. Remember that in the book of Acts? The, walk, the door was locked. The disciples were afraid, and they walked. Jesus walked right through the walls. Here's what I can tell you. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians. He says, while we look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. And I can also tell you in Colossians chapter 1, verses 6, 15 following, I can tell you that it says, for he, speaking of Christ, is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation, both of things visible and invisible. So Paul actually alludes to things created that are invisible. I would love to keep thinking about that and unpack that, but I just, the Holy Spirit is invisible. We can't see Him, but we can see His work, His power, His demonstrations. Because He's invisible, He's given us symbols or emblems of who He is and what He's like. Breath and wind represent the moving of God. The dove represents the gentleness and peace of the Spirit. River and water, the power, like Niagara, the freedom, the joy. Clothing is another example in the Scriptures. We're equipped, we're clothed upon with power. Fire, the Holy Spirit is alluded to as fire, purifier, cleanser, sanctifier. The Holy Spirit is alluded to as a seal. Like in real estate, that stamp, that seal, that guarantee of title right, of ownership and of inheritance. He's alluded to as oil, from which we get fragrance, you know, the anointing oil of the Spirit. These emblems provide a beautiful, powerful portrait of who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit, however, is not a symbol or an emblem. He is a person, and the life-giving qualities of these emblems reveal to us many of the beautiful characteristics of the third person of the Godhead. So what does the Holy Spirit actually do? What does He actually do? Well, if you study this in the Bible, the, the list is pretty long. He convicts. He testifies. He baptizes in the Spirit. He's the one that teaches. He's the one that guides He's the one that comforts. Think about this as you pray. Think about the way you pray. You ask for guidance sometimes, don't you? You ask for healing. You ask for help. You ask to be comforted, either for you or for somebody else. Holy Spirit is the one that bears witness. Holy Spirit presses and compels, if you, if you will. Holy Spirit sanctifies and purifies. It's the Holy Spirit that inspires the Scripture. Paul says the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. This, this word would be nothing more than printer's ink on a page if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit inspires the life of the Word. So, when Matthew eleven twelve 12 says that the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing, violently advancing as forceful men lay hold of it, the Holy Spirit is the source of the power for all that that happens. I'm going to remind you of two quotes I gave you last week. Charles Spurgeon, the British pulpiteer, said, Without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. 
And Samuel Chadwick, the great spirit-filled Methodist preacher, said, the Christian religion is absolutely hopeless without the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit is the one that makes the ordinary extraordinary. He's the one that makes the natural supernatural. He's the one who makes the routine spectacular and majestic. He's the one who sets circumstances in motion to answer prayer, terrorize darkness, plunder darkness, and everything recorded in Isaiah 61 and Luke 4, where Jesus talks about all the works of the Spirit that come through his life. And it's not just in Bible history, it's in human history. It's in your history and mine. As the Holy Spirit moves in and upon men, women, children. Here's a famous quote of mine. With the Holy Spirit is never about ability. With the Holy Spirit is never, it is never about ability. It is always about availability to the person and work of the Spirit. Did you ever wonder how the prophets, um, hundreds of years, centuries before Jesus was born, spoke out and said things that nobody could have known? You ever wonder that? You know, 700 B.C., Micah the prophet says, Jesus is going to be born, the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. How could he know that? 700 years before. And then 100 years later, in 600 B.C., King Cyrus, who wasn't even an a Israelite or a Hebrew, King Cyrus, who was a heathen king, announced that a virgin would conceive and give birth to a son. Or how could Zechariah, 500 years before Jesus was at 500 years, how could he say that Jesus would be sold for 30 pieces of silver? How could anybody know that? Peter tells us exactly how that happened. In 2 Peter 1, 21, prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along, carried along by the Holy Spirit. What we desperately need today in the church as followers of Jesus is something that is indescribable, undisputably clear. Everything in our services you see can be doctrinally sound, totally doctrinally sound, but if there's nothing of kingdom power to grip hearts and transform lives and circumstances, that forceful advance of the kingdom doesn't happen. The spirit is quenched. And in the New Testament church, they were continually having encounters with the Holy Spirit, and that's what we want today. Although we must always remember, the Holy Spirit will never, ever magnify himself or any human vessel through whom he operates. He will only magnify Christ and exalt him. When Holy Spirit is having his way, Christ alone is exalted. So what about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? What about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I was 17 years old when I had a dramatic, life-changing experience with Jesus Christ. A missionary from Argentina came to our church, and it wasn't my church. I was invited to be there. And he described what happened on the cross sort of similar to how Mel Gibson described it in The Passion of the Christ. Did you see that movie years ago, The Passion of the Christ? When you realize how Jesus Christ suffered for you and I, 
the depths of his suffering for you and I and how much love it required for that to happen. It changed my life. See, it wasn't nails that held Jesus to the cross. It wasn't Roman spikes that held him to the cross. He could have called a legion of angels and walked off the cross, nailed down or not. It was love that held him to the cross. And that night at an old-fashioned altar, I was washed in an ocean of love, and I was changed forever. I woke up the next morning. My language was different. My choice of friends was different. Where I wanted to go, what I wanted to do was different. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away, and all things became new. Well, so I started my life in Christ, and about a month into my Christian journey, uh, we were invited to go to Camp Farthest Out, which was a Christian camp. My mother went, and I went. And uh, there was a late night service. It was about, I don't know, it got over at midnight or something like that. And I went back to my room, and there was the same missionary under whose ministry I was saved. His son was there that night, and he was in the top bunk, and I was in the bottom bunk, and we were going to bed. And I'm getting ready to fall asleep, and I hear this question from the top bunk above me, and it says, Jeff, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And I said, what's that? Because I had no idea. And he said, well, before I answer that question, maybe I should ask you if you're saved. Have you ever accepted Christ and been born again? I said, I don't know. What's that? So he explained what that was, and I said, absolutely, that has happened to me. I said, I was totally, I had like a Damascus Road experience. I was changed forever at that old altar. And we'll never forget that. He says, well, good. And so then he began to talk to me about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, pray with me for the Holy Spirit. And uh, I've been walking in the life of the Spirit ever since, and it is this grand, wonderful thing. Now, I want to explain this progressive revelation of the Holy Spirit in terms of prepositions. And I know that that comes to you as, what? But you heard me correctly. I want to explain to you the Holy Spirit in terms of progressive revelation by preposition. Substantive, meaningful prepositions. A preposition is a word that usually precedes a noun or a pronoun that expresses relationship to another word in the clause. So in Jesus' ministry, it's very easy to pick out in Scripture how Jesus had the Holy Spirit with him, and then the Holy Spirit was in him, and then when he was launched in public ministry, the Holy Spirit came upon him. And I'm not going to take you through all those passages. I mean, I mean, just thinking about it, you remember when um, the angel said to Mary, you, you're going to conceive and have, or maybe he was talking to Joseph, said you're going to conceive and have a, a child uh, conceived by the Holy Spirit. So from the very beginning, the Holy Spirit was involved with Jesus, his life, and his ministry. As it is with you when you become a new Christian, the Holy Spirit is there. He's with you. Uh, a couple of passages that come to mind, Psalm 51, that great repentant psalm of David after he had adultery with Bathsheba. And, and he, says, he says, cast not away your presence from me. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. See, David recognized the Holy Spirit was with him. The Holy Spirit was with him. Uh, and there are other passages that show that. John 14, 16, 17, it says, The Father will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, the paraclete that we talked about, parakletos. But then the Holy Spirit 
comes in you, also in John 14, 16 to 17. The Scripture says, He lives with you and will be in you. Ah, progressive revelation, another act of the Holy Spirit. He lives with you, but He will be in you. A separate work of the Spirit. Now, I was uh, looking at Grace Chapel in Massachusetts at a message that uh, Pastor Brian gave about the Holy Spirit on this subject of the Holy Spirit in you. And he gave this illustration of a glove, and it was so good, I just said, we have to see this together. It's two minutes and 43 seconds long. Uh, enjoy this illustration. We can't live the Christian life, a supernatural life, in the natural. We simply don't have the strength. The only way to live that life is to let Christ live his life through us. Now, I'd like to try to illustrate that. This illustration I'm going to use is, is so simple, it's almost embarrassing, and I almost chucked it three times, but I'm going to go ahead and try it anyway. I have here with me a glove. Okay, it's, it's, a, it's a work glove. It's well made, it's got leather and Velcro, it's tightly stitched together. This glove is designed for work. It's made to lift and carry, so it ought to be able to do some work. So I say to that glove, glove, pick up that Bible. It doesn't do anything. Well, maybe what that glove needs is some, some encouragement, some inspiration. <laughs> Come on, glove, you can do it. You were made to pick up that book. Well, there's nothing. Maybe the glove needs some, some training. It needs to be discipled. So I'm going to do some one-on-one -on -one here and say, come on, you know, you put your thumb and fingers together and there's still nothing. Maybe what the glove needs is some fellowship. You know, get some other gloves hanging around them and, and maybe get the hang of it. We'll make it a multicultural fellowship here and just... There's still nothing. You know what I think? I think this glove needs to make a commitment. It needs to rededicate itself to being a glove. Raise a hand and come forward and get baptized or something. Now you get the point, it's painfully obvious at this point. Even though that glove was designed for work, it can't do work until a living hand fills every part of it and does its work through the glove. And that's how the Christian life works. We are not able to live the supernatural life of God in our own strength. Now, we have the capacity for it. We were made for it. But we don't have the power for it because of our fallen human condition. only way to live that life is to let Christ live His life through us. And He does that through His Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is with us. The Holy Spirit is in us. And then the Holy Spirit comes upon us. If I was holding a coat over my arm, uh, it would be with me. But what's the purpose of the coat? It's to be upon me, isn't it? It's to be upon me to equip me, to endue me with power. This is what the Holy Spirit is all about. The Holy Spirit 
you know, when you become a Christian, He's with you, and, and it says in 1 Corinthians 3.16 that He wants to dwell in you, that you're His temple. You actually are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's not only with you, He's in you. But the Holy Spirit wants to fill you and overflow you and come upon you. And Jesus demonstrated that when, out of Nazareth when He'd been there 30 years, and the Holy Spirit was with Him, the Holy Spirit was in Him, there are scriptures to document that. And yet it wasn't until he went to the Jordan River and was baptized in water and then the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit like a dove came down and the scriptures say came up on him and they endued him with power. And that's what Luke 24, 49 says. Those two disciples on the Emmaus Road, as Jesus left them, he says, go to Jerusalem and tarry there until you be endued with power from on high. And that's what happened in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when the Holy Spirit came up on them on the day of Pentecost. So the baptism with the Holy Spirit is a second work of grace that God gives His people to equip us for ministry and do us with power. And uh, because we're getting late, uh, I'm going to start winding down here. Let me just say this. We, like, as Pastor Brian said, we need more. We need more to carry out the Christian life. The Holy Spirit loves to work with ordinary people in ordinary ways, particularly when you're in the routine of life. It's just a routine day, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you and say something or do something when you least expect it. And that's, he's the worker, he's the contractor, he's the one that makes things happen. Whatever God is doing in the world today or in your city or in your neighborhood or in your place of employment, he is doing it through you. We can go to that valley of dry bones and we can preach to those bones and we can shout to those bones, but until the wind of God breathes on them, they will not rattle and they will not rise. We have to have the Holy Spirit for ministry today. I'm thirsty for the river of God. I'm hungry for more of the Holy Spirit. I haven't arrived. I'm not there yet. But I hope you are too, and I hope you are asking as we close this service. It says in Luke 11, verse 8, all you have to do is ask Him. Ask Him for the Holy Spirit. I'll, you know, as opportunity provides, I'll actually go through a list of six different things, how to receive the Holy Spirit but uh, in baptism power. But I hope that you will start asking Him now and crying out to Him. Say, Lord, I'm thirsty. I want more of you. I want more of the demonstration of the Spirit's power in my life. And that's the cry of my heart, and that's what I'm challenging you with this morning. So let's rise, shall we, and stand and dismiss. Bill Johnson pastors Bethel down in Reading, and he has a famous quote, which I love, that helped me understand some of this. He says, the Holy Spirit comes in you for you. The Holy Spirit comes up on you for others. The Holy Spirit comes in you for you. The Holy Spirit comes upon you for others. Lord, we're hungry and we're thirsty for more of you. We want your power, your anointing, your fragrance, your beauty in our lives. We want to see circumstances around us change as the kingdom of God forcefully advances. We want to see blind eyes open and lame people walk. We want to see deaf ears unstopped, Lord. Uh, we want to see people set free from the bondages, from the perils through which they walk. Especially, Lord, we want to see people set free from the weight of sin and the guilt of 
shame. If anybody's listening to this message this morning that has never accepted you as Savior, bring them to the foot of the cross. Wash them in your ocean of love as they ask forgiveness for their sins and sweep them into the kingdom of God. Write their name down today in the Lamb's book of life as they accept you as Savior. And for us, Lord, we pray that we would be filled with the Spirit again and again and again. Refresh us in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you. Go Seahawks. Enjoy the game. You're dismissed.